Kindergarten, Saturdays 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Revolution Radio. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We gotta stop us! They're gonna kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings! Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part, you can't even passively take part, and you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop, and you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio. We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyalty? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others will take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given right, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at revolution.radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, welcome. All right, let me turn that down a little bit. That's going to be a bit annoying. Uh, welcome to Free Association. And uh, my name's Dennis. It's four o'clock in the UK which means it's 11 o'clock on the East Coast in the States. And the show starts now. Thank you. 
next time for a little bit of a monologue. Not too long this week. But since Tuesday, I've had a little bit of a, a thing going on with the idea of the Dance of Shiva. Uh, I played a piece of audio a couple of years ago, uh, which was Aldous Huxley talking about the symbolism and the, the, the perfection of the image of the, of the Shiva dancing on a, the back of a dwarf. The dwarf representing the ego and Shiva as God, essentially as the self or God or ultimate consciousness, whatever words you want to use. But as a representation, it's very, very good because it cuts out all the crap and it just leaves you with the two things that, that matter in everyday life. So you've got to deal with your own ego. Probably got to deal with lots of other people's egos as well. And uh, finding a way to make the world into the dancing Shiva is probably the most important thing that I've ever tried to do. Because I'm attempting to live in a world that's chaotic and aggressive and potentially dangerous, and I'm trying to turn that into a dancing Shiva. So everybody at that point becomes God. Everybody becomes a manifestation in various forms of God, various limitations, various attributes, different qualities, both positive and negative. The dance of Shiva is the dance of life and death. It's the dance of all forms of manifested consciousness, the interplay between all of those things. So there is no, there is no evil in this conception of how the universe works. It's all just a dance. It's all a manifestation of God. So anything that looks like it might be evil is still a manifestation of God. And that's what I've been trying to get to. That's what it takes for me to understand and accept the world in the way that I do. I have to find a way to, to make it the dance of Shiva. So that's what I've been trying to do over the last four days or so. It's, it's not easy, but it's something that I think is going to be worthwhile just sticking with for, for a little while. So this is going to be theme for the rest of the summer, I think, for at least August. There'll be a Dancing Shiva theme on this show. Contrasts and the appearance of something that looks like it should be excluded from that, but nothing is excluded from that idea. Everything is included in the dance. Everybody is included in the dance, no matter who they are. So there you go. That's what I've been doing. And uh, I'm going to play the, the Aldous Huxley audio again, and then we'll go into a little bit of uh, mythology around Shiva, some of the stories in Indian mythology. And then I've got a piece... Uh, from a guy called Shunyamurti, who's who's running a an ashram in Puerto Rico. So he's a a little bit of a a 
creepy cult leader vibe. He's a little bit melodramatic. So don't worry about how he says what he says or why he's saying what he's saying necessarily. Just listen to the words. See if the words resonate with you. They definitely resonate with me. Most of what he says resonates with me. I'm just not keen on his delivery style. But I, I, can, I can account for melodrama simply because he's including everything that exists in his conception of the world. He's not excluding anything. So he's living on a mountaintop expecting the end of the world, essentially, which is where the melodrama comes from. But as long as you don't take it overly seriously, then it'll work for you. So here's Aldous Huxley to get us started. When you think of the staggering symbols that the Indians produced, I mean, the, the dancing Shiva, for example, we've never produced anything as comprehensive as this. The dancing Shiva, those little bronze statues. It is the, the Shiva with four arms dancing with one foot raised. Uh, and, well, I mean, I go into the details, they're really quite extraordinary. It's uh, the, the figure stands within a great circle, sort of halo, which has flames going out, I mean, the symbols of flames. And this is the, the circle of mass, energy, space, time. I mean, this is the material world, the great world, of the all-embracing material world with its flames. Within this, Shiva dances. He's called Nataraja, the lord of the dance. And he dances. He's everywhere in the universe. I mean, this is, this is his dance. The manifestation of the world is called his lila, his play. It's, uh, I mean, he sends his reign upon the just and the unjust. And he's not a, he's beyond good and evil, of course. It's all an immense manifestation of play. Uh, his, uh, he has this long hair, which is the hair of the yogi, contemplative, and it streams out to the limits of the universe. You see, therefore, he this sort of yogic knowledge of this contemplation includes everything. He has four arms. In the upper right arm, he holds a little drum, which is the drum which summons things into creation. You beat upon this drum, things come into existence. In his left arm, he holds a fire, which is what destroys everything. He both creates and destroys. His uh, lower right hand is held up in this attitude, which means, be not afraid, in spite of everything, it is all right. The other hand points down at his feet, and one foot is planted squarely on the back of a repulsive dwarf, this infinitely powerful dwarf called Muyalaka, I think his name is, who is the, uh, the ego, and he has to break the back of the ego, you see. The, uh, what he's really pointing at is the other foot, which is raised. And this means this foot is raised against gravitation and is the symbol of um, spiritual contemplation. The whole thing is there, you see. I mean, the, the world of space and time and matter and energy, the world of um, creation and destruction, um, the world of psychology. I mean, how do you get out of this? I mean, if you don't break the back of the ego, you're lost. And if you don't uh, uh, practice um, contemplation, 
there will be no liberation for you. I mean, it, it, we don't have anything remotely approaching such a comprehensive symbol, which is both cosmic and psychological and spiritual. I mean, it is really most unfortunate that we have such miserable uh, symbols as part of the, the regular Hinduism, which is specifically Shiva, right? And then one of the manifestations, of course, is called Bhairava, of Shiva, well, who is also dancing, but he dances in cemeteries. And I mean, to remind us that um, the dance of life isn't always very jolly. I mean, that he dances just as much in in misery and death as in life and elation. And when this has to be accepted, and of course, again, it's only by the lifted foot that we can accept it. I mean, it actually is completely compatible with the modern scientific idea. I mean, it includes the world, you see, of mass, energy, space and time. Uh, and the idea of the the infinite energy dancing timelessly and forever through this world, uh, dancing through human um, mentality too. I mean, uh, the world is felt to be, of course, a kind of outrage because the play goes on even inside ourselves, although we are sentient beings. And yet, the hand is raised, everything is finally all right in spite of everything. If, as Buddha says, I show you sorrow and the ending of sorrow, the ending of sorrow is putting your foot on the back of the dwarf and raising the, foot, the other foot in, uh, against gravity into the state of contemplation. I mean, the whole thing is there, stated in this uh, single, extremely elegant. I mean, the, these uh, Shiva images from the south of India are very, very elegant. They're most beautiful pieces of sculpture, the best of them. But uh, it's a shame we don't have any good symbols like this uh, to, uh, to remind us of who we are and of uh, what we can do about it, if anything. No, we're very, very poor in it. I mean, we have some of the Christian symbols. But not really. The symbol of the cross is, is fairly good, but it's, it's, uh, it doesn't take into account the sort of cosmic side of life. I mean, it doesn't take into account mass, energy, space and time. Which is essential. Doesn't take into account, I mean, as it stands, it doesn't take into account the uh, importance of uh, contemplation. No, it's, uh, I mean, we, there are other symbols, of course, within Christianity which do, but a, a single comprehensive sy uh, symbol like the Shiva symbol we do not have, and it's very unfortunate. In this whole business of the, of the organized, um, Manipulation of um, symbols is, uh, I mean, the, the, the human mind is a, a symbolic instrument. I mean, it, it exists to manufacture symbols, to turn immediate experience into symbols for the purpose of managing it with a, in a fairly convenient way. Uh, the question is, uh, can we get on with uh, fairly scientific symbols? realistic symbols, and then uh, concentrate on the immediate experience. I don't know. I mean, I, I simply don't know whether this is a possible as a sort of general uh, attitude towards the world. I think it's certainly possible in, the, in, in isolated individuals, but uh, whether in fact it will ever turn out to, to be something which appeals to great numbers of people, I have no idea.
you have the Buddha nature. Do you realize that? In a Shaivite Sangha, they would say, all of you are Shiva. There's nothing but Shiva. There's nothing that is not Shiva. Or in a Hindu satsang, they would say, we all have Krishna consciousness. Or we might say in a Christian gathering, we all have Christ consciousness. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, Kabbalistic meeting, they might say, you are filled with the Ruach HaKodesh or the Shekhinah. All the traditions are referring to the same truth. But the ego puts some fine print under that truth. And it says, yes, we all have the Buddha nature, except my husband. <laughs> or except my wife. Except my boss. Except those Nicaraguans. But no, the Nicaraguans have Buddha nature. Even your husband has Buddha nature. Even some gringos have Buddha nature. Okay, not the Republicans, but... <laughs> no, even Sarah Palin has the Buddha nature. <laughs> we can't make any exceptions. And once we eliminate that fine print of the exceptions, then we're liberated. Because we have to recognize that what the Buddha nature means, it means that we are empty of any substantial identity. Each of us is a range of potentials. At one moment, yes, we could each be a, a criminal, and at the next moment, a saint, the next moment, a Buddha. We all have that full range of potential. And if I see you as the Buddha, that encourages that side of the potential to emerge. If I see you as a criminal, as unlikable, unlovable, unworthy, then that's probably what you'll show me. So do yourself a favor and see the other as the Buddha, as well as offering that as a gift to the other. Because the other is empty, just as the self is empty. But we have the highest potential, all of us, and at any moment, each of us is capable of enlightenment and liberation. And it's the essential gift that we offer to each other to see that in the other. Even if they tell us, yes, yes, you're right, I'm the Buddha, but you're a piece of shit. Doesn't matter. Even then, recognize that the Buddha is there in front of you. The Buddha may come in a very strange and distorted form. Mother Teresa used to say that of the, the poor she met in, in Calcutta, that this each one was Christ in a very strange form, but each being, whether they were outcasts, poverty-stricken, diseased, criminal, but each one was Christ. If we can give that gift and see beneath the ego, Exterior, no matter how ugly it might be, no matter how damaged, no matter how traumatized, we will help that inner divine light to emerge. But we must offer that also to ourselves, to see through one's own ego identity that had taken on perhaps some stigma or stain from the other's projections early in life.
we must, we have a duty to let go of that. To let the light emerge, to recognize that I am the Buddha, I am the Atman, I am the luminous being of light and love and joy. And live from that place. Not from the wounds, not from the negativity that the other might have thrown on you. Don't let it stick. If you are empty, there's nothing for it to stick to. It can't be held unless you choose to hold it out of resentment, out of a choice to get even in some way. You think I'm bad? I'll show you how bad I am. And many people will do that. Or you think that I'm, I'm unworthy, I'll prove you're right, and I'll make you suffer for that. We have to let go. We have to let there be a clean slate and live in the present, not in the past. And in the present, all of us are liberated at this very moment. It's only when we create thoughts that are opposed to liberation that we take it away from ourselves. But it's here inherently at this moment. It's simply a choice to live in this state and not create obstacles or masks, charades of being anything other than the Buddha. And we can free ourselves now from the wounds. Because if we don't and we see the other as non-Buddha, then we justify our own ego and its defense mechanisms and its refusal to love. And we maintain that cycle of non-love when the world is dying for the lack of the love that we are withholding from it. And the first step we take to let go and open our hearts, the other will take a step toward us as well until all of us are willing to take the risk to open to love. So that's what we're doing when we sit to meditate. We're opening to the divine love that we are. Forgiving the other and forgiving ourselves. It's very important not to hold on to any shame by thinking, oh, but all those years that I didn't open up to love, what a terrible person I am. How can I open now? I don't deserve the gift of love. And we'll justify staying closed. There's no justification. Open up. Let go. Because that ego that is staying closed is an illusion. It doesn't really exist. It's just a thought. And the thought only has reality as long as we believe in it and justify it. The moment you say, no, that, that, that illusion never had reality, it's gone. And there are no obstacles and the heart's natural state of openness and joy emerges instantly. It doesn't require time. You are free now. And so the meditation is the time to celebrate our freedom. Realize it, celebrate it, and offer it to all beings. otherwise known as the Destroyer, is one of the most important deities in the Hindu pantheon. As one of the three supreme gods sitting alongside Brahma, the creator, and Vishnu, the preserver, Shiva plays a key role throughout the mythology of Hinduism. Although his title of the Destroyer may suggest a villainous role, 
Shiva is a far more complex figure. So, who really is Shiva and what does he represent? Let's find out together right now. There are a few different myths that claim to explain the birth of Shiva, but the most popular begins with an argument between Brahma and Vishnu, with each claiming that they were the strongest of the gods. Suddenly, in the middle of the argument, a blazing pillar appeared. Its branches and roots reached farther than the ends of the earth and heavens. Reacting swiftly, Brahma transformed himself into a goose and flew to the top of the pillar. Not find it. Vishnu transformed into a boar and tunneled through the earth to find the roots of the pillar, but he was equally unable to reach his goal. With neither god able to locate the end, they returned to where they started, just in time to see Shiva appear from inside of the pillar. They immediately knew that Shiva had great power and accepted that he was an equal and fellow ruler of the universe. Shiva plays many roles in Hinduism and represents many qualities. One of the most well-known responsibilities of Shiva is as the destroyer. In Hinduism, the universe is thought to regenerate in cycles. At the end of each cycle, Shiva destroys the universe and everything in it, but not out of vindictiveness or evil, but to allow a rebirth and the creation of a new cycle to begin. He must destroy the universe in order for it to be recreated. As an example of the complexity of his character, in complete juxtaposition to his role as the destroyer, one of Shiva's other key responsibilities is to dance. His dancing symbolizes truth and is meant to rid the world of ignorance and help to end the suffering of those who worship him, sometimes referred to as the Lord of Dance. It is said that the rhythm of his dance serves as a metaphor for the balance of the universe. These two roles combine harmoniously for his most important dance of all, the Tandav. It is known as the cosmic dance of death and is only performed at the end of a cycle when the universe is to be destroyed. Shiva is also the great ascetic, abstaining from all forms of indulgence and pleasure, concentrating rather on meditation as a means to find perfect happiness. He also, however, has a darker side as the leader of evil spirits, ghosts, and as the master of thieves, villains, and beggars. Shiva is usually shown in a yogic position, he has a blue face and throat, while his body is either white or blue, depending on the artistic representation. He has a third eye, which represents his insight and wisdom. Some believe that the extra eye holds onto his untamed energy. Shiva is also shown with a cobra necklace that signifies his power over dangerous creatures. It is said that the cobra symbolizes Shiva's power of destruction. Just as the snake sheds its skin to make way for new skin, Shiva destroys the universe to make room for recreation. Shiva is also shown with a trident, which represents the three functions of the Hindu triumvirate. It should also be noted that while other gods are shown with lavish clothing and belongings, Shiva is usually shown with simple clothing and backgrounds. His wife is commonly shown by his side, as their relationship is equal. Shiva is also shown as a smiling and tranquil god, despite being the destroyer. His half-open eyes are set to symbolize the cycle of the universe. When he opens his eyes, a new cycle of creation starts. But if he ever closes them, this is the start of the end of the universe. There are three lines of ashes on Shiva's forehead. They are known as the Viguti and are meant to symbolize the immortality of Shiva and his manifested glory. Shiva is usually shown wearing the skin of an elephant and deer. 
The elephant skin represents pride, while the deer skin symbolizes the flickering mind. Wearing both shows that Shiva has conquered both vices. Shiva also wears a necklace made from 108 beads formed from the seeds of the Rudraska tree. The beads are said to represent all the elements used in the creation of the world. The necklace illustrates how Shiva is firm in his laws and strictly maintains law and order. Shiva's wife was Parvati, often incarnated as Kali or Durga. She was in fact a reincarnation of Sati, the daughter of the god Daksha. Daksha did not approve of Sati's marriage to Shiva and in response had a special sacrificial ceremony for all the gods except Shiva. Outraged at this slight, Sati threw herself on the sacrificial fire. Shiva reacted to this tragedy by creating two demons from his hair who wreaked havoc on the ceremony and beheaded Daksha. The other gods appealed to Shiva to end the violence and, complying, he brought Daksha back to life but with the head of a ram or goat. Sati was eventually reincarnated as Parvati in her next life and she remarried Shiva. With Parvati, Shiva had a son, the god Ganesha. The boy was in fact created out of earth and clay to keep her company and protect her while Shiva went on his meditative wanderings. However, Shiva returned one day and, finding the boy guarding the room where Parvati was bathing, he inquired who he was. Not believing the boy was his son and thinking him an impudent beggar, Shiva called up demons who fought the boy and eventually managed to distract him with the appearance of the beautiful Maya and, whilst he admired such beauty, they lopped off his head. At the commotion, Parvati rushed from her bath and screamed that her son had been killed. Realizing his error, Shiva then sent for a new head with which to make the boy whole again, but the nearest at hand was the head of an elephant. And so Ganesha, the elephant-headed god, was born. Other sons of Shiva are Skanda, the god of war, and Kuvera, the god of treasures. There are many tales and myths about Shiva, as you would expect from such an important figure in the pantheon. Many speak of his self-sacrifice, such as the time when Vasuki, the king of serpents, threatened to vomit snake venom across the seas. Shiva, assuming the form of a giant tortoise or turtle, collected the venom in his palm and drank it. The poison burned his throat and left a permanent blue scar. Hence, one of his many titles became Nilakantha, or Blue Throat. All the time when he was able to tame the sacred Ganges River, which flows from the Himalayas, at one time, the Ganges passed only through the heavens, leaving the earth dry. After the course of the river was changed, it became a raging torrent and threatened to flood the earth. Shiva stood beneath the river and let its waters flow through his hair to calm its torrent. Another celebrated episode describes how Shiva became associated with the bull Nandi. One day, Sarabi, who was the original mother of began to give birth to an untold number of perfectly white cows. The milk from all these cows flooded the home of Shiva, somewhere in the Himalayas. Angry at this disturbance to his meditation, the god struck the cows with fire from his third eye. In consequence, patches of the cows' hides were turned brown. Still angry, the other gods sought to calm Shiva down by offering him a magnificent bull, Nandi, the son of Sarabi and Kasyapa, which Shiva accepted and rode. Nandi also became the protector of all animals. These stories of Shiva and the many more that exist all speak to his complex character as a god that represents numerous themes and ideas. He is as much associated with goodness, benevolence and protection as he is with destruction, creation 
and time. Shiva is a fascinating and awe-inspiring deity from Hinduism that continues to capture the imagination of millions around the world with his many tales and many roles. The destroyer, the dancer, the master of time and meditation, Lord Shiva. Hey guys, thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the all right, so that's that's the uh, the Shiva part of the show. I thought that was uh, I've, I've had a as I said I've had a bit of a a four or five day kind of obsession with with the idea of the dancing Shiva. So it had it had to be in the show, even though I've I played that older Suxley clip once before, but it's a couple of years ago now. So it's worth put. I think it was worth it. I think that was quite a good collection of clips. So I don't know where to take it from there. I was going to maybe play some comedy, some British comedy, just to change the mood a little bit. Oh, I could talk about me for a little bit. Why not? So this week I've been working on on a website called Imagination Creates Reality Live. And uh, inevitably... I started working on the website. It's been sat there for a couple of years, but I haven't really done anything with it. All I, all I was doing was paying for hosting, and I thought it's time time I did something with it. So so I sat down and, and started putting a bit of effort in, and then I, I checked the hosting because I was trying to set up a security certificate, and it turns out the, host, the hosting's about to expire. So I had to... Think about how to generate some income for to pay for the hostings because there's nothing in the bank account. So this was a Tuesday, I think it was. Might have been Wednesday, but in in either case, in either case, I realised the hosting was going to run out, and then a day later, I get a tax rebate. So I thought that was quite an interesting combination of stuff. So the crisis only lasted maybe a day or a day and a half. I was kind of thinking about how to manifest some money, and then the money miraculously appeared. So there you go. There's something going on with me at the moment. I don't know what it is, but there's something going on. Uh, yeah, so... I'm waiting for the check to clear. I put the check in on Thursday, so uh, it must have been Wednesday. So the, the, the check arrived on Wednesday. I actually spotted it on Wednesday afternoon, but it must have shown up in the the post arrives about 10 a.m. in my place. So it must have been sat in the letterbox all morning. Then I've I've seen it and, and opened it on Wednesday afternoon. Took it up to the bank Thursday morning, and then I'm wondering how long it's going to take to clear. I thought maybe I thought it would take four days, but somebody this morning told me it takes two days to clear now. But I've checked I've checked in the bank, and there's nothing going through there at the moment. So it could be that if I walk up to the hair market to where my where my bank is, I might be able to get money out there but it's not showing up at, at the centre of life where the nearest cash point is for me. The centre of life is a big biomedical centre uh, based around a square, but a couple of gear bars and a cash point. 
And there's a, there's a uh, club upstairs, there's a nightclub upstairs as well. So it's a complicated kind of combination of stuff. Biomedical research and gay bars and a bar called, a club called Digital, which has a lot of uh, rave gigs and club gigs. Quite often there's a queue going around the block from there. I don't know exactly what they do in there because it's not really for my demographic, but uh, I've been in once and I managed to stay in there long enough to have a look around, but it wasn't my thing at all. It's way too ravey for me. I'm, uh, I'm feeling my age a little bit when it comes to the musical side of things. Anyway, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to play a little bit of British comedy, I think. Uh, this, when I set it up, is going to be a compilation from a show called Yes Minister. I'll skip the ad because it'll, be, it'll have an advert on it, you can guarantee. Is your agency using WordPress to build websites? That's like carving a chicken with a handsaw. Drying your hair with a leaf blower. The whole point is that I ran the campaign against the PM for the leadership. If I'm out, well, who knows? Hello, yes, speaking. Oh, it's you, Michael. <laughs> No, I haven't had a call. Have you had a call? Bill's had a call. What's he got? Europe? Bill's got Europe. Lucky Europe. <laughs> I didn't know Bill could speak French. You can hardly speak English. <laughs> yeah, I'll call you back if I hear anything. Right. Bye. <sighs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Hello. Yes, speaking. gas board. <laughs> Good Lord, man, that was weeks ago. Yeah, well, would you mind? I'm waiting for a rather important call. Look, Mr. Franklin, there happened to be a general election yesterday. Oh, you voted for the other side, did you? How on earth did you manage to get to the polling booth on the right day? <laughs> Two assistants, three returns for spare parts. Look, Mr. Franklin, no. Frankly, Franklin, I don't care if the whole central heating system collapses in ruins. I have got to get off this phone. Goodbye. They won't come now. If the PM gives me consumer affairs, they'll come. Hello. 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 Oh, darling, that was the front door. It'll be Frank. Did you know Martin's got the foreign office? Has he? Jack's got health. And Fred's got energy. Does anyone got brains? What do you mean, education? No, I know what I mean. But what's left? I mean, what have I got? Rhythm. <laughs> Frank, I have heard absolutely nothing. Not that it's surprising. My whole career is going down the drain and up a spout because the Prime Minister of England is totally unable to reach me on the electric telephone. <laughs> you get it, would you, darling? Hello. Hello, this is the BBC. We were wondering if Mr. Hacker would like to be interviewed on the PM programme this afternoon. PM? PM? <laughs> Hello, yes, Jim Hacker here. 
Yes, are, I... are you available this afternoon? Yes, any time you like. Any time you We were wondering if perhaps we could interview you. Well, yes, I've been hoping you'd call. <laughs> Tell me, what job do you think you're likely to get? I beg your pardon? Tell me, what job do you think you're likely to get? Hardly for me to say, is it? That's for you to tell me. <laughs> what? What? I mean... Well, it's not up to me to say. I mean, that's for the PM to say. I mean, you're the PM's office. Oh, I see. The, uh, the BBC PM office. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, a silly mistake, yes. yes. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, I did try and tell you. You answer them. Bloody thing. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Mrs. Hacker speaking. Oh, congratulations, Prime Minister. It's Annie here. <laughs> yes, Prime Minister. Yes, of course. Yes, I. Right here. I'll be on the next train. Vic. You know, it's Humphrey Appleby, Vic Gould, our chief whip. You really are a pain in the arse, aren't you? <laughs> the PM's going up the wall. Huh? Hitting the roof. You can't go around making speeches like that. Oh. that it's open to... government. Oh, shut up, Weasel. Who's asking you? Why? Well, he's right. Open government. I mean, it was the main plank in our manifesto. I mean, the PM believes in that. Open, <laughs> yes, but not gaping. In politics, you have to learn to say things with tact and finesse, you burke. <laughs> and when you say nothing at all. How long have you been a minister? A week and a half. I think you may have earned yourself a place in the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> I guess headlines already. Cabinet splits on US trade. Hacker leads revolt against Prime Minister. That's what you want, is it? Ah, Sir Arnold, what news? That speech is causing the Prime Minister some distress. Has it definitely been released to the press? Well, the Minister gave express instructions for noon, isn't that? I'm appalled at you, Humphrey. How could you let the Minister put himself in this position without going through the proper channels? Well, the Minister and I believe in open government. We want to throw open the windows and let in a bit of fresh air, isn't that right, Minister? No, Minister, it's good party stuff, but it puts the Prime Minister in a very difficult situation personally. What about our commitment to open government? This seems to be the closed season for open government. Do <laughs> uh, you want to... Uh, you want to give to a draft letter of resignation, Minister? I mean, just in case. <laughs> Hush it up. Hush it up? <laughs> you mean suppress it? Yes, I suppose I do. I see. You mean that within the framework of the guidelines about open government that you have laid down, you are suggesting that we should adopt a more flexible posture? Why? Oh, yes. Yes. Excuse me, Minister, about the press release. Yes. There appears to have been a development which could pre precipitate a reappraisal of our position. Oh. 
Apparently, we failed to rescind the interdepartmental clearance procedure. Ah. Oh. The supplementary stop order came into effect. <laughs> so it's, it's all right, Minister. Your, your speech hasn't gone to the press. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, only gone, it's only gone to the Prime Minister's private office, and the duty officer had no instructions to pass it out without clearance from the PM and the Foreign Office, the American reference, you see. But how come? The fault is entirely mine, Minister. The procedure for holding up press releases dates back to before the era of open government, and I unaccountably omitted to rescind it. I do hope you'll forgive this lapse. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> That's quite all right, Humphrey. Quite all right. Thank you, Minister. After all, we all make mistakes. Yes, Minister. <laughs> We're just getting... Secrets on the news. <laughs> Martin, what's all this about Miranda? What's all what? A bit of good How do you know? Well, it was on the news. Didn't you see? Don't you know? You're foreign secretary, for God's sake. Yes, but my TV set's on the blink. <laughs> TV set? Don't you get foreign office telegrams? Oh, they always come in later. I get all the foreign news from TV. <laughs> <laughs> You're joking, aren't you? No. Oh. Well, what about this official visit? We've got to make sure it still happens, haven't we? How can we? I mean, who's the new president? Well, we must find out. Make sure he comes, whoever he is. There are three by-elections hanging on it. Well, I know that. Let me know if you hear anything more. No, you let me know. You're the one with the telly. <laughs> Uh, the sad news, Minister? Yes, disaster. No, 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 just a slight inconvenience. The wheels are in motion. No, it's really perfectly simple to cancel the arrangements for the visit. Cancel the arrangements? You'll do no such thing. We have no choice, Minister. I've just been speaking to the Foreign Secretary. We are reissuing the invitation for the new President. But we haven't recognised his government. The wheels are in motion. But who is he? Mohammed something. But we don't know anything about him. What's he like? Humphrey, he's coming here on an official visit. We're not putting him up for the Athenaeum. Minister, Buranda is in total confusion. We don't know who is behind him. We don't know whether he's Soviet-backed or just an ordinary Burandan with an eye for the main chance. We cannot take diplomatic risks. The government has no choice. But Her Majesty... Her Majesty will cope. She always does. <laughs> but who is he? He might not be properly brought up. He might be rude to her. He might take liberties. <laughs> and what if he then turns out to be another Edie Armin? 
the repercussions are almost too hideous to contemplate. No, we'll just have to find out about it. Well, we can't. All that we know is that he's an enigma. Humphrey, I don't care for that word. <laughs> enigma? And there are reasons of state which make this visit essential. Miranda is potentially enormously rich. It needs oil rigs. And we have idle shipyards on the Clyde. Moreover, Buranda is essential to the government's African policy. The government doesn't have an African policy. Well, it has now. <laughs> and if he is Marxist-backed, well, who better to win him over to our side than Her Majesty? Moreover, the people of Scotland have been promised an important state occasion. We cannot go back on our word. Not to mention three marginal by-elections. <laughs> not to mention three <laughs> marginal by-elections, which have nothing whatever to do with No, of course not. <laughs> yes? Oh, it's the Foreign Secretary. Martin? Yes? Yes? Oh, splendid! The new president of Miranda has announced his intention of visiting this country next week in accordance with his predecessor's arrangements. Oh, so the Foreign Office is getting the facts at last, isn't uh, it? Well, not exactly. Martin's driver heard a news flash on his car radio. <laughs> so, the visit's on. That is my recommendation to the PM. Another policy decision, Bernard. There's quite a lot of them, after all. The people of Miranda urged the Scots and the Irish. Without <laughs> <laughs> the English oppression, cast off the imperialist yoke and join the fellowship of free nations. Good God. Yes. Well, Minister, we would appear to have been caught with our trousers down. Humphrey, <laughs> he can't say this in front of her. Well, I don't like to say I told you so, but I told you so. We can't have egg all over our faces. Not egg, Minister, just imperialist yoke. <laughs> Three Scottish by-elections on Thursday. Well, yes, it is indeed a catastrophe, a tragedy, a cataclysmic, apocalyptic, monumental calamity. And you did it. Humphrey, you are paid to advise me. Advise me. Well, this is not unlike trying to advised the captain of the Titanic after he struck the iceberg. There must be something we can do. Mm. We could sing Abide With Me. Yes, Minister. Mm. Ah, yes, the Foreign Secretary would like a word. Ah, Foreign Secretary. Have you read this? Uh, yes, my Minister's concerned that the government will have egg all over its face. Scotch egg, presumably. <laughs> Why is he doing it? Well, maybe it's for home consumption. He's only just taken over. Perhaps he's trying to persuade the other African leaders that he's a pucker anti-colonialist. Yes? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> the, the press officer would like a word. Oh, dear. Room for a little. Do you think it's a good idea to issue a statement? Well, Minister, in practical terms, we have the usual six options. One, do nothing. Two, issue a statement deploring the sea. official protest. Four, cut off aid. Five, break off diplomatic relations. And six, declare war. Which should we do? Well, if we do nothing, we implicitly agree with the speech. Two, if we issue a statement, we'll just look foolish. Three, if we lodge a protest, it'll be ignored. Four, we can't cut off aid because we don't give them any. Five, if we break off diplomatic relations, we can't negotiate the oil rig contract. And six, if we declare war, it might just look as though we were overreacting. In the old days, we just sent in a gunboat. Yes. <laughs> I suppose that is absolutely out of the question. <laughs> yes, 
Cotton's minister, the yes, permanent but... undersecretary of the Foreign Office, is coming down the corridor. Oh, oh, it's been like the black hole of Calcutta. <laughs> May I come in, minister? You can try. <laughs> this is all we need. All right, so that's uh, an old British uh, classic sitcom called Yes, Minister, uh, which is Paul Eddington and turn it to Yes, Prime Minister, and very well written, nicely nicely put together, classic British political satire. Uh, so that's pretty much it for this episode. Achiever and political satire a little bit. Um, I'm trying to keep it. Uh, if I'm going to dive into eugenics again in the in the autumn, then uh, a few light shows in between is probably a good idea. I don't know whether I will or not, but the last couple of years, if I'm I've, I've tackled the, the darker side of the issues in. Uh, October, November time. So I'm keeping it light until then, and then if I do decide to do a couple of darker shows, at least there's been a a bit of a comedic interlude. In the meantime, you can find me on Rumble, you can find me on BitChute, you can find me on Odyssey, and all good podcasting platforms. And I'm, I'm quite... Busy with the BitChute channel is, is probably the best one to to follow me on because I'm posting regular updates on, on the website at the moment and most of those end up on BitChute. Sometimes sometimes they end up on Rumble, but most of the most all of them end up on BitChute because they're just short, snappy kind of daily morning briefing I'm calling it, just a daily update. So I'll be back next week with a little bit more kind of comedy interlude listener you get it Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt.
interested in the paranormal, murder mystery, real natural law. Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crip Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rips, I think, thank you. Welcome to the Crypt. <laughs> the Secret Kindergarten is here for the young children of the world. 